The White Sox drubbed the Twins in the penultimate game of the season. We're going to break it down on today's Locked On Twins postcast. You are Locked On Twins postcast, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, your team every day. And welcome to the penultimate edition of our Locked On Twins postcast. It's Tuesday, October 4th. I'm the host of Locked On Twins, Nash Walker, here with writer and reporter at Access Twins, Mr. Brandon Warren. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Bet Online. The Minnesota Vikings are 3 and 1, and they're going to host the Chicago Bears this Sunday. They open as seven point favorites. You got to go play at betonline.net. If you like the Vikes, bet the Vikes. If you like the Bears, bet the Bears, or any other football game, Saturday, Sunday. Also, the baseball postseason is starting Friday. Major League Baseball should be a really fun weekend uh, to go play at betonline.net. It is where the game starts. Brandon, welcome back. Twins lose to the White Sox, uh, lost the series to the White Sox. And uh, what's your takeaway? One more road to cross, (laughs) one more bridge to take. Um, I love your use of penultimate there. That's a great, great word. And I don't know. I mean, at least they're having a little fun here. Palacios with a homer late. Billy Hamilton getting to play some second base. But it's just it feels like such a sour taste in our mouths after this season and everything that the Twins should have gotten accomplished and everything we felt they should have accomplished. But in the same night as Aaron Judge hits home run number 62, Luis Arise looks to have the batting title wrapped up. And speaking of wrapped up, that's pretty much what it looks like his leg should be. So uh, mm-hmm. cheers and props to him for finishing this thing off and not ducking Aaron Judge, which would have been easy to do. Yeah, I suspect at this time uh, tomorrow, maybe a little bit earlier, we'll be talking about Luis Serrat <laughs> winning his first batting title, which uh, I think is awesome for him. It's something that when he came up in 2019, like obviously it was a possibility and he's just hit, hit, hit. and He hasn't stopped. So. What was your take of this uh, this race, Brandon, down the stretch? Because I actually tweeted out a couple of weeks ago. I was like, maybe Louis shouldn't be playing down the stretch. You know, it looked like he was really banged up. Didn't want to go into the offseason with him banged up. But w- what has been your take on the last couple of weeks in the batting race? Well, it just goes to show when we think of shutting guys down, you have to consider the competitive spirit, not only of the game, but in these guys' DNA. They're just wired to want to be out there. And so – that's why Luis Arise is playing and playing as much as possible. And you look at his numbers in the second half, and I don't think it's entirely based on injury. I think there was just some stuff in there that might not have been sustainable after the first half. But, you know, it, it's been a slog for him in the second half to the point where this is even a race because he was kind of running away with it for a while. So, I mean, cheers to him for playing through some stuff. But at the same time, it's very obvious he's not well. And so hopefully – he can rest up this offseason, but I applaud him for playing. One of the more uh, shocking aspects, maybe not shocking, but surprising that Josh Winder hasn't gotten more swings and misses. It's something we've touched on a little bit this season, but we saw it again. <laughs> Good stuff, you know, mid 90s fastball. But early, like when he was in Tampa, like I think we talked after that chop start, he was just incredible. The swings and misses and 96 in the upper part of the zone, blowing guys away, setting up that slider. We hadn't really seen that. I don't know if the shoulder is part of it, but what do you think? Well, it's it could be a lot of things. You know, fatigue 
just being a full season, more so about uh, time than of actual innings because, you know, he's been down for a while and all that. Adjusting, adjustments to this level are difficult. Pitching to a catcher other than Ryan Jeffers up until this last start or maybe even just this start, uh, you know, I, I really think there's a chasm between the game calling of Gary Sanchez and Ryan Jeffers that matters a lot. And that's only going to be better for Winder next year, assuming he gets to pitch to Jeffers more often. But part of it too, is just, it's, it's learning the league and the league learning you in turn and how fast can you take control of those reins? Because there's going to be times for pitchers where they'll come out hot and then they'll get just annihilated. And then it's on them to make the next adjustment. And, the guy I come back to is Scott Baker. And so when he came up in, I think it was 05, he had a pretty nice run there. And then 06, he got just obliterated. So it's not uncommon for guys who are young and well-regarded prospects to come up and struggle. It's just a matter of, you know, where does he go from here? Because it, it could still be, as weird as it sounds, a crowded rotation next year if they make some moves this offseason to where, Maybe he's pitching out of the bullpen next year and having that Griffin Jacks glow up like we saw. Um, I'm not as out on him as I was Jacks a year ago, but we'll see. I, I think he can definitely pitch at this level, and I'm excited to see um, what that role is. Reese, was that the worst infield in Major League Baseball history? Here, I think you correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, there at the end. They had Nick Gordon at third, Jermaine Palacios, respect Jermaine Palacios, hit a home run at short. At second was Billy Hamilton, and Caleb Hamilton was at first base. That uh, that might have been, Reese. It might have been, you know, defensively, I think Palacio's pretty well regarded at short, but offensively, yep. that I think at this point, probably one of the worst uh, worst <laughs> Major League Baseball infields you'll see. But Nick Gordon's had a good year, so shout out Nick Gordon. And I saw tonight, what is your take, Brandon, on his role? Like, do you view him as – a utility infielder anymore. We've seen him, especially in the last couple of weeks, make some serious blunders at second base. Can't really play short. Do you view him as like just outfield specific next year? I mean, mix and match. It's, it's going to be tough because if everyone's healthy, you know, you're looking at is Alex Kirilov in the, a corner outfield spot? Is he at first base? Does Jose Miranda, who got dinged up tonight, does he swing over to third? A lot of, lot of balls in the air. For me, the, the fact of the matter is that it's kind of weird. Gordon will be the constant of that equation because we don't know if AK can still help, stay healthy. We don't know if Larnick can stay healthy and that sort of thing. Gordon's been solid this year to the point where it's like, okay, pencil him into this, maybe not lineup, but definitely on the depth chart, definitely on the roster. So he's just going to kind of have to be a, a have glove, will travel kind of guy for, if you know if Louis Arise is banged up, he'll play somewhere, and if if Polanco's banged up, he'll play somewhere. And the the one thing that Rocco Baldelli does well is I think he keeps guys in a rotation where they get to play enough to to stay sharp. It's another thing that people talked about with Tom Kelly back in the day. He had a lot of guys like Chip Hale and Jeff Rebele who played um, a lot of a lot of Sundays and then kind of off and on during the week. I think Rocco can make something like that work with Nick Gordon. But, you know, if, if it's not infield, that's tough because he, he was not really an outfielder by trade either. So we'll we'll see what happens. I think he's the kind of guy who can get 350 at-bats on a good team playing all over the place. 
but I don't think you want him starting anywhere every single day, specifically second base. Twins uh, lose the series to the White Sox, but I do believe, based on comments from Rick Hahn, their general manager, uh, based on the contract, based on Andrew Vaughn, I do believe that this is it for Jose Abreu as a White Sox. And Reese brings up this question. Thoughts on going after Jose Abreu this offseason? I don't know how you feel, Brandon. I just think reading the tea leaves, like in the past, it's been such an obvious that he's coming back. He's not going to leave. This year, I think it's different. I think it'll be his last game either tonight or uh, or on Wednesday. What are your thoughts on the Twins going after Abreu? I, you, you kind of think about it, and you get that mentality that a lot of fans have where it's like, unless he can pitch, I'm not interested. Well, the Twins are, first of all, going to need to get a shortstop somewhere this offseason, no matter what. So your pitching-only conversation just gets thrown out the window. But the Twins are not in a position where they can poo-poo anything that's going to make them a better team next year. And I can't think of a better veteran mentor for a team that's probably going to have a fair amount of, of Spanish-speaking players coming through the system either now or in the near future than Jose Abreu. Now, are his best days behind him? Chances are yes. But I thought that two years ago, and he just kept going and going and going. I thought that for Nelson Cruz before he fi- before he signed with Seattle, let alone Texas. So I, I like it. I really do because they don't have a long-term fit at first base. Miguel Sano is out the door. Uh, Jose Miranda, maybe, is he a first baseman? Is he a DH? Is he a third baseman? What's Royce Lewis going to do? Go out and get that veteran guy and stick it to a division mate at the same time. That, to me, makes a lot of sense. You know, they do things kind of off the radar that we don't expect. I could see that being one of them, getting, you know, a two-year deal for $30 million or something. I'd be all over that. Yeah, and he set a career high in walks this year. The on-base percentage is way up there. He hit 305 or whatever. Power was a little bit down across the board for the White Sox, but this is a guy, I mean, he's a run producer. And I'm I'm even someone who doesn't believe, like, wholeheartedly there's a run, but he's a run producer. 304, 378, 446 for a slash, and that's with offense down across baseball. So what does that come up to? Probably like a 120-something weighted runs created plus OPS plus kind of deal. Works for me. I I would be more than happy to give him a shot in that Nelson Cruz role. Yeah, he's awesome. I think the infield – Watch closely the infield this this offseason because they have questions at third. You know, do they move Luis Arise permanently to second and trade Jorge Polanco? Do they trade one of those guys off a corner? Like, do you do you view the infield as, as that fluid this offseason too, Brandon? It's exceptionally fluid because they need to decide at third base if I mean they can run it back with Urshela and there's no issues there. He he's in his last year of arbitration eligibility. He's been solid. But What's the future look like there? Is Royce Lewis a future shortstop? Is he a a third baseman? Is he an outfielder? We don't know. And so, um, you know, how much time does Miranda get over there? Or is he going to be playing first? Like, there's just so many question marks and so much fluidity that it's kind of like you have enough talent. You have a fair amount or plenty of talent. It's just a matter of sitting guys down in spots and getting a feel for a depth chart. And to me, they should not be afraid to add to that room, so to speak, um, with a guy like Abreu. I would love it. And uh, it's almost like Brett Farving, the Chicago White Sox there. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would love that. Brandon, thank you. Reese, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for watching all year long. We'll be back for one more for the series finale Wednesday. Brandon, thank you. We'll talk again tomorrow for the final time of the season.